Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Billy Eichner is my first guest this week. He is, of course, the host of Billy on the Street, the bonkers game show where he runs up and down the streets of Manhattan yelling questions at strangers. For a dollar, name a woman. Name a woman? Yeah. Um. Who? Who? No, name a woman. Name a woman? Yeah. Um. The yoga bag. Name a woman. Sorry. No, name a woman. Name a woman? Yes, go. Any? Yes. Oh my God! Yes, this is so hard. Name a woman. Um. Name a woman. He's also an actor. He played Craig on Parks and Recreation. He starred alongside Julie Klausner on the great show Difficult People. He voiced Timon in the recent Lion King reboot, and of course, he's done many other things as well. Now he has written and starred in his first movie. It's called Bros. You might have seen the trailer. It's a romantic comedy produced by Judd Apatow. It's also a romantic comedy about a same-sex relationship. Bros features an entirely queer cast, the first of its kind from a major studio. Billy stars as Bobby Lieber, a podcast host who also works at an LGBTQ plus history museum. He's single, never settled down, and one night while he's out, he meets Aaron. Aaron looks like a decent enough guy, fun to hang out with, not especially serious. But eventually, Bobby sees there's more there. A relationship develops. The relationship gets put to the test. Will they end up together and live happily ever after? Well, you'll have to watch Bros to find out. I'm not spoiling it. It is a romantic comedy, though. If that sounds like a classic rom-com plot, like When Harry Met Sally or Moonstruck, it kind of is. But it also kind of isn't. Bros is true to the world in which it lives a world with grinder and poppers and thruples. That's one of the things that makes bros so unique and refreshing. It's also part of what makes it really, really funny. Here's a bit from bros. This clip comes from early on in the movie. In this scene, Bobby, played by Eichner, is leaving a date with a guy he met at a club. Bobby asks his date back to the house, and when his date declines, he gets a little annoyed. So basically you texted me when you were feeling hungover and lonely in that moment, but you're not actually into me, but you went on the date anyway. Why are gay guys so weird? Actually, you know, we're not weird. We're just constantly catering to our own whims and needs, which can change on a dime, but we never even think about the emotional consequences of the other person. Anyway, it's been a blast catering to your whims, and honestly, I can't really say anything about it because I do the same thing to people all the time, so... Fun day! <laughs> Billy, welcome back to the show. It's it's so nice to get to talk to you again. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. Congratulations on taking on the full arc of LGBTQ plus history. Thank you. Your own personal neuroses. Right. Your own cultural uh, identity outside of uh, s- simple gayness. Right. And your... I would presume somewhat complicated relationship with the romantic comedy all in one 
am- ambitious comedy film. Yeah. It's a uh, Bros's epic. It really is. Um, thank you. I, I'm I'm so glad that you noticed all of that because that's all true. You know that was part of what I needed to do here. Um, all of those things, and I felt a responsibility to do all of those things. And also, as a, a writer, a co-writer of the movie, but the the, the gay writer involved um, and the person who the movie centers around, I wanted to do it. It was an opportunity to tell my story, even though it's scary and vulnerable, um, and to hopefully do it in a way that is hilarious and makes people laugh a lot. It's a lot to take on, though. Did you ever think about cutting one of them? No. Like, I'm not going to do the native New Yorker stuff. <laughs> no, I wanted to do all of it. You know, this movie is a really long time coming. Um, and not that we ever sat around, Nick Stoller and I, who co-wrote the movie and Nick directed it, Judd Apatow produced it. Those guys have some experience making great, very mainstream major studio comedy blockbusters, but they've never made one like this. It's the first of its kind in so many ways. And I wanted it to be big and expansive and I wanted it to be somehow a great combination of intimate when it comes to following these guys and watching them fall in love. I wanted it to feel real and grounded and beyond being funny, of course. Emotionally, I wanted it to be real and grounded and I see so many romantic comedies, whether whether it's a TV series or a movie where the audience is just supposed to believe these two people are in love, right? In order for the rest of the movie to proceed. And I didn't want to just have just sort of force people to think, oh, well, these guys are in love. So I guess I'm supposed to care about their relationship. I really wanted to show from the earliest moments of them meeting why they were in love, what they did for each other, like moment to moment, right? So in that way, I wanted it to be really intimate and specific. And we've gotten so little, so few stories like that about gay men, right? Which felt real and didn't feel cartoonish. I wanted it to feel big and epic and beautiful and glorious. And so there was a lot of ground to cover. That That's the... The standard that we we set for ourselves, you know, I hope that we met it in some fashion. I mean, one of the challenges is that part of the appeal of a romantic comedy is that it has all these obstacles in the narrative, but we know that it's a comedy not just in the sense that there are jokes. Sometimes there barely are jokes in romantic right. comedies. Some, but many romantic comedies are not funny. Not this one. A lot uh, of jokes, A lot Jesse. of great funny jokes in this in this movie. <laughs> uh, besides that, it is we know that it is a comedy in the classical sense, that like at the end they get married kind of comedy, right? That it will work out. And so that fantastical element of it is part of the appeal. It's why people watch... Hallmark movies, which are a big part of this movie. Yes. Um, So what does watching a movie like that feel like to you? Um, What does it feel like, whether it's a bad one from 1999 when it was 25% of all movies or a great one? You know, what does it feel like to know what that movie is going to be? Like to have that comfort. I love 
great romantic comedies. I grew up loving them. I grew up in an era, meaning, you know, the 80s and 90s, when we had a lot of great romantic comedies. Um, and they were, they certainly weren't avant-garde by any means, but they weren't supposed to be, but they were smart and they were urbane and they were literate. Um, even though they were also great mainstream, broadly appealing pieces of entertainment. And I'm talking about Moonstruck and Tootsie and Working Girl and the Nora Ephron movies, Sleepless in Seattle. And I grew up loving those movies. They're the movies that as a kid made me want to be an adult. You know, they made <laughs> me want to be in a relationship in New York with another adult. Right. And those movies, even about straight people, romantic comedies of the standard of the movies that I just mentioned have disappeared. And I think we need that right now. And that sounds like a cliche, but I really do feel that we need that movie going experience. And I've been watching early screenings of bros sitting in theaters all over America, watching hundreds of strangers laughing and crying. And I think people have forgotten what a fun and joyful experience that is. You know, it's not Top Gun. It's not Thor. The, the thrills are different, but it is equally thrilling. And um, it's, it's powerful and it's really funny and it's such a great escape from the bleakness of the news and the anxiety of our lives and social media and all of that. I wanted something that would make people laugh, but really sweep people away the way that those films I mentioned that I grew up with did. So that was my goal. And I think there's value in doing something that makes people feel good, um, without it being a, a, a cheap version of feeling good or something too easy. I, I do hope People will have to judge for themselves. But I hope that bros is feel good and uplifting while still giving people something insightful to, to think about. You know, when it comes to relationships in general or gay relationships, you know, this movie is unlike a lot of things that straight people certainly have ever seen. That's for sure. We've got so much more to get into with Billy Eichner. Stay with us. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. I'm talking with Billy Eichner, writer and star of the new romantic comedy, Bros. You mentioned these past films that come from the both the Nicholas Stoller and Judd Apatow oeuvres. Um, I don't know if the plural of oeuvres is oeuvres. Yeah, I couldn't, <laughs> yeah. I couldn't tell you. Um but like even like forgetting Sarah Marshall, which is one of Nick Stoller's movies, one of my favorite romantic comedies. So I was good. about to say like recently, relatively recently, but like ever. Yeah. Um, Great movie. Even that they they all have they have a lot of kind of outrageous situations and uh, people saying different funny stuff. But they have relatively few joke jokes. Mm -hmm. um, and this show has some great joke jokes. Movie, yeah. Like, I, thank you. Yes. People saying funny things. Yes. Like making funny remarks. Yes, it does. I'm so happy that you noticed that. And I should say, too, and this happens with every interview about bros that I do because of the historic nature of it the interviews become very serious <laughs> right they become all about my struggles as an lgbtq this or that or like you know the history and the trauma of gay people in hollywood and and that is important to acknowledge but really this is like a really funny comedy you know it has some more serious moments of course some more poignant moments i hope people think they're poignant but really our goal every day when writing it was 
what's the funniest thing that can possibly be said in this scene every moment, right? We really wanted a movie that would make people laugh out loud beginning to end. I think, you know, so many of these movies that pass themselves off as a comedy and that I guess theoretically are, and again, there are exceptions, um, but so many of them, how often do they really make you laugh out loud, right? Very rarely. And so Nick and Judd Apatow and I, like, we love movies that make you laugh out loud as much as humanly possible. Like, that's the point of going to see it in a movie theater. That's so fun. And it's such an escape and a stress reliever. And that's what we wanted. And we love jokes. I love a good joke, you know, and as long as it feels organic to the dialogue. So this movie is jam-packed with jokes and physical comedy and big set pieces and all of it. You know, everything that you would see in a Judd Apatow movie is in this movie. Um, And that was really our priority. Again, aside from all the historic stuff and the gay stuff is let's just make a really funny movie. That was, I think, the piece of this film that reminded me the most of your great television show, Difficult People, with Julie Klausner, um, which was... (laughs) That that show often felt like a contest for most funny jokes about very specific things. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no matter, no, no matter uh, how relatable or unrelatable or like pleasant or unpleasant they would possibly yes. be, all from the characters' voices. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Not random jokes. Right. Uh, but often like a, a contest to see how many of those very specific, intense jokes you could fit into 25 minutes or however long a television show is. Yes. Uh, and I thought like, well, this is Billy Eichner here. Like, Billy's going to put in some really good specific jokes, whether or not he's making a film in a relatively sentimental genre. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, yeah, I would say, bros, I love difficult people. I would do it again in a heartbeat. I hope we get to do a movie or something. And I still speak to Julie all the time and love her. Um, I think bros is very different than difficult people. Yes. In, in one way they're similar is that there are a lot of jokes in difficult people and there I are truly a lot mean, of jokes. That is the thing that yeah, reminds, like totally. the element. Yeah. And by the way, it's, I'd be flattered for people to think it's like difficult people because I love that show. Yeah, that's a rule. I, I love that show so much. Um, but yeah, I think with bros, yes, we wanted a lot of jokes in there, but I think we, you know, it is a romantic comedy and it is getting released in movie theaters and multiplexes all over the country. And so we wanted the specificity and the nuance, but we do want it to be relatable. We do want it to be emotionally accessible um, because that's what's, you know, that's what's comforting and and meaningful about a, a great romantic comedy, I think. One of the moments of representation that I really enjoyed in the film is uh, uh, there's an actor in the film who's also a producer on the film named Guy Branham, who... Love him. He's the greatest, known him for a long time, been a guest on this show, hosted this show before. Um, And Guy, over the course of his career, has gotten to play a few gay best friends. Um, Like, his on-screen successes have largely been as a gay best friend, um, which is a trope that has gone back in romantic comedies 30-ish years now. I was so excited when in the third scene in the movie or something like that, he's standing next to you, being your best friend. Mm-hmm. And I thought, look at that. G- guy finally gets to be a gay best friend to a gay guy. 
And he's sexual in it. Yeah. You know, and he has his own sex life. And, you know, he's not some one-dimensional, two-dimensional gay best friend character who's there just to serve a story, you know, about some straight leading woman, you know? To um, serve a serve the emotional life of a of a woman exactly and have no emotional life themselves yeah it, it, exactly and we've seen that so many times and hey at the time that's what we had and brilliant actors like Rupert Everett they ran with it and they stole those movies and again you have to ask yourself where where the hell were Rupert Everett's movies after My Best Friend's Wedding. You know, where were Nathan Lane's big movies after The Birdcage? Nathan has spoken about this. I heard him on podcasts like this say he was waiting around after The Birdcage, saying to his agent, where are the offers? And I think he had one offer to play like Mr. Magoo or something. Literally. And he's great in Mousetrap. No, Mouse Hunt. Mouse yes. Hunt. Thank you. Um, well, that's what he ended up doing, Mouse Hunt, which is a lovely it's family It's really funny. Film. I was really surprised when I watched it how funny it is. That it's actually a very made a, a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and that was Gore Rabinsky's first movie before Pirates of the Caribbean. And so, you know, Nathan Lane, a legend. I'm not diminishing. I, I yeah. worship the man. Right. Um, and have since I saw My Guys and Dolls when I was 13 years old um, on Broadway. But I'm just saying... Like, these guys did not get the opportunities that they were supposed to get. And when we did, we were there to, pl- to, to to help the woman out. You know, we were the woman's best gay friend. That has happened so many times. It's countless, right? And so with Guy, yes, he's playing my best friend. I mean, you know, the movie is populated by LGBTQ characters. There are straight characters in the movie, and I'm proud to say all played by openly LGBTQ actors, which never happens. Older ones, younger ones. Um, But one of the things we deal with in the gay community, too, there's obviously, you know, there's we're dealing with our own biases, you know, our own internal biases in the in the community. But in the gay community, you know, the lack of body diversity that we see in terms of the gay representation in TV and film um, a, it doesn't reflect the reality of the gay community, which is, of course, very eclectic. You know, you will everyone that you see on TV is always like not everyone, but let's say of the vast majority, it's like they're always like so fit and ripped. And whether it's a straight man playing gay or a gay man playing gay, that's just what Hollywood has wanted, I guess. Or maybe that's what they thought we all were, but we're not. We we're everything. We'll finish up with Billy Eichner after a quick break. Don't move. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Hi, I'm Hal Loveland. And I'm Mark Gagliardi. And we're the hosts of We Got This with Mark and Hal, the weekly show where we settle the debates that are most important to you. That's right. What arguments are you and your friends having that you just can't settle? Apples or oranges? Marvel or DC? Fork versus spoon. Chocolate or vanilla? Best bagel. What's the best Disney song? We got this with Mark and Hal every week on Maximum Fun. We do the arguing so you don't have to. Oh, all answers are final for all people for all time. We got this. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Billy Eichner. Eichner is, of course, the creator and host of the reality game show Billy on the Street. He starred in shows like Difficult People and Parks and Recreation. Eichner also wrote and starred in the new movie Bros. It's a romantic comedy. It's produced by Judd Apatow. It is very, very funny. You should definitely see it. Let's get back into our conversation. So Nicholas Stoller co-wrote this movie with you and directed it. He is a straight dude. So straight. Middle-aged straight man. Yes. Uh, they still exist. Can you imagine? I can 
Yes. <laughs> yes, Billy. Oh, I know they I do. I can speak to that. Yes. He is, uh, he's obviously a very smart, very talented guy. He's directed right. some wonderful movies, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, when the two of you were working together, what did you have to explain to him that he missed because he's a cis straight dude? I think early in the writing process, I had to educate him about gay culture. You know, the first thing I said to Nick, Nick, um, Nick came to me. The idea to do a gay rom-com was Nick's idea. People say, how does, how did, when did Nick Stoller come on board? It started with Nick. Nick and I had worked together a couple of times, never to this degree and never as co-writers. I had acted in a few different projects of his and he emailed me, I think in 2017 and out of the blue and said, I want my next movie to be a romantic comedy. You know, Nick loves very funny, big major studio comedies and like Forgetting Sarah Marshall and Neighbors and The Muppets and all that stuff. And so he said, but I I think it would be cool if it was about a gay couple. And he said, I like working with you. I'm not gay. Do you want to write it with me? And if all goes well, you can start it and I'll direct it. And he did, you know, he has a long history with Judd Apatow. Um, and he did think that you know, Judd would be interested. Judd's been looking for a project like this for a while. Um, And he thought Judd would come on board if, you know, the pieces fell together in the right way. And I said, yes. And, but the first thing I said to him, having no idea what the movie would turn out to be about, I had no idea if I had a story to tell. I had no idea if I could carry a movie or any of that. And all those, all those questions about whether I could have running through my head, but what I knew from the very first moment, I remember we had coffee together and I said, all I know is this. If you think we can make when Harry met Sally and just swap in two gay male characters and have the rest of it play out the same, that's not going to work for me. And I love when Harry met Sally, like we all do. And I grew up with it and I rewatched it during COVID twice. I think, you know, as much as I love those movies, A, I don't even think those movies, as great as they are, reflect what dating for straight people is like anymore, obviously. Things have evolved. There's technology and all that that stuff. And for gay men, they were never an accurate representation of how we date. Some of it is exactly the same, and some of it's not. That's what's exciting and fresh about bros is that you see where there's overlap. You see how, you know, where things diverge and how we do things a little differently. Um, What's what's an example of something that? You clued him into. So, yeah. So I had to teach Nick about certain things. I mean, something as simple as like Nick had heard of Grindr. A lot of people know the word Grindr now. It's sort of part of the pop culture vernacular. But most straight people don't know what Grindr actually looks like and how it functions. And so I took out my phone. I was like, Stoller, you're going to have to take a look-see through Grindr right now. And I sat there and showed him Grindr. And I talked about how many of my gay male friends have created their own rules and shall we say versions of monogamy, which is to say, even when you're in a long term couple, sometimes not so monogamous. Some are. I have gay male married friends, dear old friends of mine who are totally monogamous and married and have children running around Santa Monica, wherever they are. Um, Is that where you go when you have kids? Just an example of somewhere you Um, might. But I also know a lot of long term gay male couples where 
they have an open relationship. And by the way, I think with young straight couples now, like everything, it starts in the gay world and it moves to the straight world eventually, right? And so I think a lot of straight couples now, they might not talk about it with their friends as much. They might not be public about it. But I think the rules are getting a little more liberal. And they certainly have for gay men now, especially over the past 10 or 20 years or so. And and people are very open talking about it. You know, one, two of my dearest, Gay friends, I mean, they're practically my family. They are They are my family. I was the witness at their wedding when they got married 10 years ago. They've now been in a throuple for six or seven years, longer than I've ever even been in a relationship with one other person. I got a buddy who's my age, 40-ish, who's got an uncle in a throuple. A long-term? A gay uncle? Yeah, uh-huh. long-term throuple. Long-term throuple. I always say, you found two, I can't find one. That's not fair. So, um, and so, you know, we wanted to incorporate down in the movie and that's something, you know, I think at the beginning, Nick and Judd, they're very gay friendly, but they didn't know about that. You know what I mean? (laughs) And so I had to cue them in. I had to educate them. And I said, guys, the movie doesn't have to center around a thruple, although there is a very fun thruple in the movie that pops up. But that's part of the tapestry that we're creating here. Yes, I just said tapestry on NPR. <laughs> um, but that that is the world of the movie. It's not what the movie's about, but it's in the world of the movie. And so it was so important to me that the movie be authentic. Um, and Nick, to his credit, from the very beginning, even when things took him a little bit by surprise, <laughs> <laughs> things that he didn't know, he always said to me, if it's honest, it will work. The movie has to be honest. So if you're telling me and Guy Branham's telling me and Luke's telling me this is how it is, then this is what we're doing, even if it's new information for straight people. And by the way, it's what makes the movie fascinating for straight people in addition to being funny. I, I went on Jimmy Kimmel recently, and Jimmy's been a very supportive of me for years, and I've done his show a million times, but he's never seen a movie like this. And he watched Bros, and he kept saying to me, both on camera and during commercial breaks, he kept leaning into me. He was like, the movie's really funny, but also, is that what it's really like? Like, it looks <laughs> so fun, he kept telling me. And, I, and, and it hit me. I was like, oh, wow. Even like a very progressive dude like Jimmy Kimmel, like, this movie is new for people. Um, and he thought that all he, he thought it was very funny, but he also thought it was almost like, you know, an anthropological study. It's like, you know, National Geographic. (laughs) Well, Billy Eichner, I always appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. As you know, I'm such a fan of your work. I really got a lot of great laughs out of bros and also was very touched by it. So thank you. uh, Thanks for making the time. Thank you. Straight people, please go see bros. Thank you. Goodbye. You know what? I think I'm probably more credible with straights. Oh, so okay. You can give me that plug. That I'm would just, be great. Yeah, I'm just going to ask straights, fellow Mask Musk straights, particularly <laughs> yes. to go see bros. Thank you, Jesse. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producers are Jesus Ambrosio and Richard Roby. Our production fellow at Maximum Fun is Tabitha Myers. We get booking help from Merritt Davis. Our interstitial music is by DJW, also known as Dan Wally. Our theme song is called Huddle Formation, written and recorded by The Go Team. Thanks to them and Memphis Industries, their label, for providing it to us. 
Bullseye is also on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Follow us there, and we will share with you all of our interviews that you may share them with others. I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.